Hey, listeners, you're listening to Nightmare Junkheads. Nightmare Junkheads! With Genius McGee and Greg D. I'm Gigi Saul Guerrero from Lucha Gore Productions. <laughs> Gore is love, baby. In and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that is always trying to ice skate uphill. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're breaking out our pagers from our Jinko jeans as we delve deeper into the mouth of March Madness and travel back 20 years to talk some of the horror classics from our 1998 bracket. But before we get into that, let me remind you we're part of the phenomenally frightening Phantom Podcast Network. Phantom. And you can find all of our past episodes along with a host of other horrific horror podcasts at downrightcreepy.com. Or if you're like me and you like to listen to us on the go, simply search for Nightmare Junket in your iTunes or SoundCloud app. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. I'll open your pog hole. So we are now officially halfway through yes. the tournament uh-huh. as we transition from 1988 into 1998. Uh, a golden year. It really is. And, well, it's interesting. If you look back at our uh, not year, the episode we did for 1997, mm-hmm. we talked about how really... The, the horror from the 90s gets kind of a bad rap. It does. It's a, a lot of PG-13, a lot of like weird tropes and themes that get played, a lot of like coming soon on the WB, you know? <laughs> it, it rubs a lot of horror fans the wrong way when yeah. you go from the magic of the 80s into just that transitional time of the 90s. Right. But I really a think neutered 90s. A new, ooh, it really was. Yeah. Well, and not even for in the, the most part. The MPAA, it's just I think they were going for more sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think 1998 actually gives us a pretty decent selection to choose from. Oh, yeah. We got definitely like when I said the neutered 90s, that's true. But once again, like we always say, the cream sometimes rises to the top. And I'd like to think we actually get a really good, almost like a buffet of horror yeah. with the representations from 98. I mean, we get we get aliens, there's vampires, there's zombies, there's all sorts of stuff. So It's, it's got something for every horror fan's mm-hmm. need. Uh, and again, I welcome, please make sure you guys are filling out your brackets. You can get them over on our Twitter page at a Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. Fill them out, send mm-hmm. them in, Play show the game, show the work, and let's go then to the bracket yep. here for 1998. And how we do things in the first round when it comes to the Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament is we talk a little bit about the films, but we, you know, you've got eight films mm-hmm. that we have to break down, and breaking them down, we show our work, and we show our work with two different criteria. We we ask ourselves which of the two films are closer to the heart. Closer to the heart. Basically, which one gives us the more nostalgic feels. Right. And then they are all paired <coughs> by bracket topics. So mm-hmm. which one fits the best bracket topic? So let's start with this. We're going to go top to bottom here. It's interesting. The two films that we're looking at, we the bracket topic itself, we kind of had to run an audible. Right. Because if you go back to the selection episode, 
when we were initially pairing these two films, do you remember what they were initially paired as with the bracket topic? On the wild card? It was a, no, it was a heart, it was the heart oh, the heart net hairdo. Not the hairdo, it was the heartthrob, actually. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't until we finally watched the films, we were both like, like oh my God, his hair. His hair is weird. It's right? next level. So instead of, you know, he's always going to be a heartthrob, but let's t- discuss a little bit about his coiffure. So we're going to run a little audible here. So the, to- the bracket topic is heart net hairdo and we have two <laughs> films here from 1998 starring one josh hartnett and mm-hmm. he was all over the 90s yep. with your genres with your genre films and we've got two films here that are just totally different <laughs> yeah they are what they're trying to do but here they are in the same bracket and we have the faculty going up against halloween h2o mm-hmm. i was doing my one-armed uh curls getting ready for this my uh <laughs> the shape nose. Do you remember those old bow nose? Uh, yeah, the shape nose calisthenics. The shape nose shape MPX. Nose baseball. Yeah. <laughs> fucking <laughs> P90X Extreme. Dun, he's, he's over there working out. One arm push ups for the shape. I did six reps. I did six reps. Dr. I Loomis as his personal s- trainer. Spotted him six times. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got, and this is what's really rough for me, is you've got two films that one is technically almost like a remake. Uh-huh. Because we look, you look back to 78 with the, uh, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the faculty very much takes on. Is a very um, remake of a 50s alien invasion movie. And then we have yet again here, in 78 we had Halloween. Uh-huh. In 88 we had Halloween 4. Uh-huh. In 98. We have Halloween Water, H2O. <laughs> So we've got another representation of the Halloween franchise here in the Into the Mouth of March Madness. During a party, I'm it, all over it. I'm all over it like white on rice. Just give him a paycheck and he's good with it. God love John Carpenter. If you need uh, me, but, I'm going to go play some video games, play some NBA too. Okay. Which one do we start here, Genius? The Faculty or H2O? Well, we've already talked about H2O a little bit, so let's keep on talking about H2O a little bit. Uh, so this one, I have such mixed emotions with this film uh-huh. because this is one, and it's really funny. Even last year, listening back to the episodes from the uh, eighty-seven to ninety-seven, is ultimately I saw more movies in the theater in the nineties than yeah. I actually did in the eighties. Yeah, same and here. Both of these films I saw in the theater, but mm-hmm. Halloween H two O. There was a buildup to it. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, because it's Halloween. Twenty years later, Michael Myers Resurrection. It was supposed to like negate the cult of thorns and all that other stuff and go back to its roots and i know halloween six has its defenders i am not going to poo poo <laughs> on it right uh, but it's just one of those films that especially even after five and six just they just started going off course mm-hmm. the cur- the curse of the thorn the cult of the thorn yeah and this was supposed to be a course correction I mean, they brought back Laurie Stroud. Well, yeah, when when you heard Jamie Lee Curtis was coming back as Laurie Stroud, I was everyone, hyped. I was pumped. We lost our our collective horror geek minds. Right. They were the, and they were given the reins to Steve Miner, who actually directed one of my favorite Friday the Thirteenth films, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Yeah. He also did House. So you know, there's you know he's got good pedigree, a good horror background, which is why this movie angered me so much. Well, uh, I even remember, I remember in, it was a transcendent theater experience because I was caught up in the hype. I was excited that the shape was back, that Lori was back. Yeah. The the crowd reacted, like people were cheering in my theater. And then when ultimately when that last third of the film, mm-hmm. when that hits, when Lori actually becomes the hunter. That's the best fucking part of that whole movie. When she goes, fuck this, and just steals the car. She gets and- everyone away, yeah. gets them the safety, yeah. and locks herself up. It's mono, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. But guess what? 
that's only about a third of the film. But like the last 20 minutes. Anything outside of that, though, for me, especially rewatching it now, is tough. The shape wasn't scary. And it's hard to... Now, here the movie, to me, almost seemed to break up into two movies. There was the actual Michael... Uh, uh, Laurie Strode being terrorized, the sins of the past coming back to get and her. And also, I think that they really lost sight of what could have worked really well with the film is the fact that we here we are 20 years later with the surviving final girl. Right. And how is she going through it? How is she dealing with, with the, the PTSD mm-hmm. that goes about? And I think... And they get into flashes of that when... And they did great with it when it was when it was specifically mm-hmm. Laurie Strode when it was her story and even when it's her mom Vivian Lee comes in and it's still great but then she starts being the like concerned parent and then it turns into another then what should have been set up to a magnificent return to form for an iconic monster then gets turned into your prototypical 90s teen slasher when it comes to Hartnett and his friends if they would have just expunged the whole Hartnett friends scenario and just maybe a a little bit more meat with the Laurie Strode we would probably be putting these two up against the original you know it's it is there's definitely something with this particular film that rubs me the wrong way and it is every time you're away from Laurie with the kids and that's the problem is I'm not invested in them. No. I'm just annoyed by them. I'm ready for them to die and move on so I can see what happens to Lori. And the problem is the kills themselves aren't even that creative. No, not at all. And not that you need that in Halloween. I think ultimately this is why it's problematic with that series is they had to get more creative. But if you look at the original, mm-hmm. it's no frills. And no. that's what works about it. But I don't think you need that with Halloween. And that's, the that's I think, is the, the ultimate problem with that. Well, they try to get gory. And then they try to scale it back at the same time. You can't try and go all full out guts and gore and then try and make it minimalistic as well. Mm-hmm. But you have to do one or the other because if you don't, you wind up in the middle of the road and just meh, you know? Squished just like a grape. Exactly. And even the, the, the only good kill out of the whole teens was the one where he's chasing her into the service elevator. The dumbwaiter? Yes. That was great. Other than that, and, the, and, and I don't know. Something about LL Cool J. I never... Ugh, and he's over there. Yeah, I'm gonna be if he's he was super superfluous and supposed to be the comic relief, and he wasn't that funny. Well, what was good, good though, at least though, is he did survive. Yes, he, very he true. Went beyond the, the black tropes. guy dies trope. Right. Yes, which I like. But like you mentioned, this film definitely screams '90s uh-huh. uh, regarding even just the Kevin Williamson feel of the script, um, all the way to the teens and their little '90s shenanigans. And what yes. ultimately really neutered the film for me though is the lack of the Carpenter score. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Especially in that intro scene. And at the end scene. Yeah. When it finally kicks in at the very end, it's that's what actually took me out of it. Now, again, when I saw it in the theater, that last bit when she reaches out, he reaches out, she says, forget it. Chops Fuck his head you, up. Swamp. The, the theater erupted. Oh, and, yeah. And it was, again, it was a transcendent experience, but it was so hard getting through that this last rewatch. It ultimately felt good watching it again, mm-hmm. getting through that. And it actually also... I hold out hope for the new Halloween that's coming out. Me too. I don't think we need it, but if it's if Jamie Lee Curtis gives just like a tenth of what she did yeah. in H two O, yeah, 
I'll probably be good with it. Yeah, hopefully this movie is more along the lines of sticking with the Strode as opposed to the Hartnet. I mean, yeah. like Hartnet's dreamy. Don't get me wrong. We and have, we have, we have really a cool even, category about fucking Josh. And we Hartnet. really haven't talked about him in this right, film. Right, right. But it was there's just so many like things that took me not only out of it but angered me. And I remember being disappointed in the movie theater. Now I remember being like really hyped up, like yeah, that was an awesome. I drank kill. the Kool Aid in this one. Right, but then later on, like even later that night, thinking about it, like mm, there was bad. I don't know, you know, and it was just like the him. And not only does he come down with the one arm thing once, twice, twice. Why? Why? He's never done that. And you're like, do I understand you want to maybe mix up your killer a little bit, but if it don't broke, don't fix it. He's not. He's not Spider Man. You know, that could have truly gone a different way had he gone upside down. She pulled the mask <laughs> down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so final thoughts on Halloween H2, H2O before we talk a little bit about the faculty more Strode and as much as there was in it, we could have used more. I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Well, to go from something that I didn't really enjoy rewatching to something that recently the Kansas City Horror Club actually hosted a screening mm-hmm. of was the Robert Rodriguez is the faculty. Yes, this was so much fun. I enjoyed this movie and I still do. It's a, it's great. It's a fun movie. It is. You said it right there. If you give me a choice between Halloween H2O and the faculty, I'm going to choose, choose the, the faculty because it's fun. It really is. And it comes down to me is the the, the power of the cast. Uh-huh. Uh, with the faculty, not only do the teens that I'm actually, I'm rooting for them more mm-hmm. than I am Halloween H2O, but then you get these great character actors. Peppered are, in, yeah. Which you can't go wrong with. <laughs> John Stewart, you ever stopped an alien invasion on weed? So great. So great. Who wouldn't want their school nurse being Salma Hayek, even with the... <laughs> even in- with the, the sickness. I would be down with the sickness. Ooh, ah, it'd be great. <laughs> I don't know if I want Harry Knowles as my gym teacher, though. No, as my as my math teacher, but... that gets That's a little off-settling, actually, when I watched it again. <laughs> because not everyone knows who that is. There's yeah. just probably a little certain subsection of people that go, oh, that's Harry Knowles. And then even know now just like, the, the, yeah. the reputation that comes along with that. <laughs> Definitely adds the ick factor to the yeah. faculty. But then we didn't know it was icky back then. So right. It's a sl- slight pass. Well, speaking of icky, the faculty, I think, er, is runs into that 90s issue in horror of kind of melding practical effects with CGI. Mm-hmm. Because there's some really good practical work in here. Then there's also a little bit well, of you know, goofy CGI. And, you know, when we're dealing with the 90s, we, we have to go with a grain of salt because it was the 90s. It so. came into play there. But you actually have a play, a play on the old invasion of the body snatchers trope. Which I think worked perfectly in the high school setting. Well, of course. When you were in high school, when you were in school at all, you, of course, thought that your teachers were from another planet. Mm-hmm. And then, or you felt alienated with all the cliques and the circles and all that. It's, yeah, it was, I thought that, I thought it was a very interesting play. It's timeless. It's yeah. even when you are introduced to Elijah Wood's character and he's just eating by himself with the bloody, I, I identify so much with that. I just, my heart goes out to him. And that actually what's interesting is how everything is kind of turned on its head, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the creepy uh, teacher Famke Jensen, Hartnett. And, rawr, rawr. And we I, didn't talk about him in Halloween H2 because I don't think his character is great, but Zeke in the faculty with Hartnett yeah. is all sorts of wonderful. I like he's just that typical like chip on his shoulder. He's smarter smart, than everyone. Smarter than everybody else. Just wasted potential. Like, how come you're not using your potential? Because you aren't teaching me what I want to learn. He's so. all about calluses. Yeah. <laughs> and and making drugs and pens, which 
Not as fun as it sounds. <laughs> well, how would you know about this there, genius? Fucking Abby. So anyway, for those of you who don't know, I don't know why you wouldn't, but if you do, if you don't, we do our sister show, The Nerds and Nostalgia. We do a, a show once a month at Tapcade where we screen a movie and we talk about it live on um, thing. Well, one day, it wasn't, was it, the, it wasn't, we didn't even show the faculty. We were, it was the next night mm-hmm. and it was the next night and we were talking about something and Abby, during the faculty, she brought these ink pens filled with pixie sticks like the drugs that they were using in the movie. Well, she comes on Monday Mystery Movie Night and she goes, hey, here's another pixie stick. And so without even thinking, I just snorted it like they do in the movies and it was it actually you i it threw me off guard is what it did because i was not anticipating that i thought maybe you would just sample it throughout right you know portion it out but no, no. a whole fucking ink a whole ballpoint pen filled with pixie but stick. we ultimately knew you were not one of the monsters <laughs> right <laughs> which is such an interesting high school way to take basically on the thing blood test mm-hmm. is to go ahead and just say okay you got to be down with this you can't be a narc yeah because you know a narc wouldn't t- in- ingest the drugs there well and then another good thing about the faculties and then talking about like you're not a narc and stuff the cast yeah the cast is amazing i mean like elijah wood josh hartnett you had jordana Bruce. You had Famke Jansen. You had Clea Ro- Duvall. Clea Duvall. Robert Patrick being an excellent villain. Um, Piper uh, Laurie. Piper Laurie with dirty pillows. Just like. <laughs> it, it works. And, and I think it's because of the cast that works that well. And also, I think it's Rodriguez just has a lot of energy in his yeah. direction. This is back in 98. So he still had he still wasn't shooting everything in front of a green screen. Right. The only thing that I don't like, we shit on Halloween, so let me shit on the faculty a little bit. The music is awful. Mm, this, the music is terrible. The it's it's first of all the horrible rendition of uh, we don't, another the brick Pink in the Floyd, wall. Yeah. That's off putting. And then here we go with this fantastic movie with and the score, like the instrumental score, the run dun mm-hmm. dun dun. That's pretty good. I mean, when when he's being chased by the monster in the pool, I mean that was the intense music. But then right after that, then they play a Creed. Song. Song. With I don't even know what it was, but I was like, what the fuck is this? It shows you just how important a soundtrack selection is. It but they did easily... the same thing on Halloween, too, oh. at the end of it. It's like, like butt rock, dude. I don't want, why did all the movies of the 90s have to have butt rock at the end of it? Because it was the 90s. That's true. That's, That's and true. This is why I think that horror gets that really bad reputation there. Look at this well, we have two films that obviously we're kind of bittersweet on, and we've got to let one of them go through. So here we're going to go ahead and show our work between the faculty and Halloween H2O. So Genius, I'm going to start with you. Mm-hmm. Which of these two films are closer to your heart? I saw both these movies in the movie theater, and I both enjoyed them at the movie theater, but I enjoyed Faculty more upon not only the rewatch, but also even later that day. You know, at Halloween, I was like, eh, let me shoot some holes in this real quick, but Faculty like, that movie was great. So Even if you want to shoot holes in it, you just you didn't, you didn't, it doesn't matter. Right, right. So Well, and I saw both of these in the theater as well, but like I said, that experience I had with Halloween H2O, even though now watching it, it still does not hold up for me. But I can still go back to that screening. That and it, sweet spot. It really was magical at the time. Yeah. Now, of course, time has been a cruel <laughs> mistress in this case. But for me, this one, <coughs> Halloween H2 is definitely closer to my heart based on that theatrical experience. Right. Now, that being said, when it comes down to the bracket topic, and we've held out mm-hmm. talking about Hartnett's hairdo uh-huh. throughout because I wanted to focus now. But let me tell you something, and this is, <laughs> oh my God. So ultimately, it came down to, he was shooting both of these films at the same time. Uh-huh. 
And going back and forth, they had issues with his hair going from one set to the other. So finally, he was just like, fuck it. And he made it as weird as possible. <laughs> they were weird. So genius, I throw it out to you. Between the faculty and H2O, which one is more better, is a little bit better for the heartnet hairdo? Let me ask you a question, though, first. Do you know anybody who tried to sport those heartnet wings? I would like to think that I don't try because unfortunately my hair no longer grows in the front, but it sprouts but it all over else. Wings. But no, when I let it go, it does naturally sprout out like I'm trying to learn how to fly. Really? Almost as like Hartnett was my spiritual master. But you would like comb that shit down. You wouldn't like let it. Oh, yeah. No, no. It, it, well, that stuff, if it's really working, has a mind of its own. Yeah. Yeah. So do you know anybody who's like, oh, I'm going to dress like Josh Hartnett? Be- no, 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 no. Man, me neither. I guess that I guess he was trying to like, you know, the hair saw that he tried to pull off didn't quite catch on well what's interesting is if you look at it from a certain angle i swear it looks like something that strive it, you need to try to solve it like it just <laughs> like looks like the lament configuration yes just like <laughs> heartnet wept just like <laughs> because it's so it's so angular and it looks like there's like hidden shapes in it they look like captain america's wings on that yes. 70s on that 70s that matt br- salinger was yeah of... yeah with the little wings on the side it looks fucking ridiculous it's magical well for me it boils down to a couple things is ultimately which character wore it better and honestly, when it comes down to it, Zeke is a bad boy. Uh-huh. A bad boy needs some bad hair. Zeke and the faculty wore the heartnet hair better for me. They were both bad boys because one, he was the principal's kid, and he's lying to the principal Gotta so he rebel. can stay in there. But like when you're lying to the principal and your principal's your mom and you're going and cutting classes, that's fine. But if you're killing your teachers and you're making illegal drugs in the chemistry lab, that's more of a badass. So when you rock when you're badass like that, you gotta rock out some badass hair. So faculty gets my heart net hair. I agree. I agree. Well, with a score of three votes to one, uh, study up, gang, because the faculty has outdueled Halloween H two O, and we'll be going to the round of the scream sixteen on weed. <laughs> As we transition to our next bracket, let's go ahead and transition to the next bracket (coughs) topic, which in and of itself is a transition. And the bracket topic is transitional terror. Mm -hmm. And what we're able to do is we took a look at a couple films that have some international flair to them. And we've got two films that could not be tonally (laughs) any difference. (laughs) But we are looking at uh, Bride of Chucky going up against Ringu. Mm -hmm. Now, which one of these two shall we go ahead and talk about first there, Genius? Let's do Bride of Chucky. Okay. What was your initial run-in with The Bride of Chucky? Except for the Ringu, I saw almost all of these movie th- in the movie theater, and I remember seeing this in the movie theater and remember really enjoying it. But like thinking, yeah, this is really funny. And who? Gen- wow, Jennifer Tilly. Wow. When you rawr. add Jennifer Tilly into a movie, already it's it's immensely better. Yeah, even her voice, even her voice. Like I'd like to see more of Tiffany the person. But Tiffany the doll was all right. And I like this one. This was a really fun, funny movie. I mean, it was not my favorite Chucky. Chucky's never been my favorite franchise. But I really enjoyed that they tried to make a little bit more humorous and actually transition, almost pull a Freddy. Mm -hmm. You know, let's make him a little bit more comical. Let's switch him up a little bit. Well, it's even in the title. I mean, he is up. He is front and center now. Yeah. The star of the films. It's no longer a child's play film. It's literally Bride Uh, of Chucky. Bride of Chucky. Yeah. So you know what they're going for there, which I appreciate. And also the fact that, like you said, 
I think if they would have churned out another Child's Play four with exactly the same, it would even been... by three, just the formula was kind of going stale. stale. Yeah, absolutely. But I think ultimately what makes this film work, and I think what works everything with the franchise, is the fact that Don Mancini has had a hand in writing every single one of the films. Mm-hmm. So he ultimately has that creative control. Oh, that's a good thing because Chucky still has his own tone. Mm-hmm. You know, he still keeps his tone. While all the other movies can change drastically with the thing, Chucky's always still Chucky. And that's what I like about it. Yeah, and also, you, I can never go wrong with it when you have John Ritter in your film. Especially as a bad guy. As a bad guy, fucking... <laughs> And this is another film I actually, I'll kind of call back to Halloween H2O, but I really dug it whenever Chucky and Tiffany were in the film. But then anytime we went and we spent time with With like Catherine Heigl and that was, it was, it was, it was, it kind of took me out of it. It took the fun out of it because, and when your protagonists are your ancillary characters, that's definitely something wrong Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying it's i mean you want to root for the villains and of course it is chucky's movie it is the villains movie but at the same time we always say a hero is only as good as its villains the villains are only as good as the heroes and when it's fucking katherine heigl and some dope you know going to niagara falls it's ah you know ah. It, it, it really makes the film a little bit more problematic it puts more weight and pressure on chucky and tiffany and their shenanigans yeah but fortunately their shenanigans were enough to actually carry the film, despite Catherine Heigl. And let me ask you that. Bitch face. And <laughs> well, ultimately, does this film work for you as a horror comedy? Yeah, absolutely. As a horror comedy, yes. As a comedy, no. As a horror, no. Horror comedy, spot fucking on. Because it's funny. It's funny when he's over there with listening to uh, Rob Zombie and fucking uh, cracking jokes. And he goes, let me show you how to do it. And he's going around killing people. And But the weird sex scene was really weird. I was just about to ask. No, I didn't like it. I, I was like, this, it skeezed me out. It really did skeeze me out. Like, hardcore. I'm like, yeah. You kept thinking, will they go there? Well, yes, they are. They yeah. definitely are. Well, I guess if you're going to push the envelope, you might as well. Might as well rip that fucker open. So <laughs> so going from something that is more of a comedy horror, a horror comedy, to something that is just straight horror mm-hmm. is Ringu. Yeah. And this is one, ultimately, that I was definitely late to the game on. Me too. I can say I backtracked from the remake. Mm-hmm. Same here. Same. Okay, interesting. Uh-huh. So do you remember your first time with Ringu? Um, yes. <laughs> I, I, this is, I'm going to lose a lot of horror cred on this one, what I'm about to say. But this was one of the ones where I was like, I kind of like the remake better. You know? I, I think something along the lines with, with Ring, Ringu and especially like the wave of J-horror that it brought in, we definitely lost a little something in the translation. And that's just, I was about to ask, because I sometimes I think that when you get a remake from an international film, I think in a lot of, many of the times it's lazy. Yeah. It's because you get a lot of people that don't want to necessarily read subtitles. But like you said, if there is a, if there's a, process there's something lost in the cultural translation Mm -hmm. where it is harder to identify the folks through that then i definitely can see the justification for it more so with the original grudge where the even the ghost look was a was very jarring out of context but this one a lot of social things that they were talking about and while a lot of the social thing that the the abuse of Samara uh, Sadaku. Sadaku, the abuse of Sadaku at her parents and the doctors and stuff is universal. A lot of it still got lost in translation. And it wasn't until like I could, I got it. Ringu. I understood what it was going for. Even if I didn't see ring, I could still see where it was going for, but I, it, it would, if I have not saw ring first, 
I would be a little bit more confused. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does. And it gave you more of a, a, a roadmap yeah. to traverse. Because ultimately, even if you're lost in the translation from the cultural stuff, the horror still hits it well. It still hits hard. Yeah. And it's still... Oof. And the idea, the, the simple concept of a cursed tape. Yeah. And how we were all tape heads. I would... I would I wish that I had that tape when I worked at Blockbuster because, like, that's the only way you could survive. Oh, no, this is the movie you want to see. You want to see something real scary. You know, watch this. And then I'd be safe. Then I'd be safe for, like, a long time. So <laughs> It's interesting how it's passed down yeah. that way. And that's what I really like. It was such a unique and interesting mm-hmm. story. Just mm-hmm. a very, wow, yeah. It's one of those that it's not necessarily simple in its concept, but you look at it, you go, oh, my God, that is so effective. And it is scary. In fact, when ultimately when you that first moment when she pops out of the television. Yeah. That's such an unusual, surreal thing that immediately you're like, is it really happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always wish that happened to me now when I'm watching like adult movies, like they come out of the TV and I'm like. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> but it never does. No, I, I think we're a few more years away from that. You'll just have to settle for the uh, Kentucky Fried... Uh, Feel-O-Vision? Yes, the Feel-O-Vision oh, there. I'm going to die in seven days. I hate to get that phone call, but I do remember calling up people at Blockbuster when I worked there and like, you're going to die in seven days. And then like oh hang God. out. And like... <laughs> you just added to so many more people's PTSD there, genius. I know you have a, a little little perversion for that. So let's go ahead and let's show our work. We've got two phenomenally wonderful films here going up against each other, but mm-hmm. only one can go forward. So let's go ahead. Which of these two film genius is closer to your heart, Bride of Chucky or Ringu? The fact that I had to reverse engineer and felt that the remake was a little bit better, I'd have to go with Bride of Chucky because I did see it in the theater and I did enjoy my time in the theater with seeing it. So. And I'm I'm actually gonna I'm gonna gonna go ultimately this time with because with both of them I didn't I didn't see either of these in the theater. Mm-hmm. I also backtracked to Ringu, but honestly, because of the fact that it was such a refreshing change from a lot of the horror that I saw at the time, mm-hmm. even though we were getting ready to hit just with the oversaturation of J horror, mm-hmm. um, just having that kind of just different take on horror I thought was more refreshing. So for me, I'm going to go with Ringu for the feels on that one. Okay. But ultimately now, let's look at the bracket topic because I went kind of met on this one, but transitional terror. Mm-hmm. Which one of these for you is ultimately a better transitional terror? See, this is where I'm really debating. Okay, because if you look at it per per at least the franchise-wise mm-hmm. for Chucky, it is a correct it's a different course, not correction, but a different veer. It's veering off into a different uh, course. And it was refreshing. It was really good to see something funny and to see something like that, like, hey, horror comedy, we can still be scary and gory and guts and gore, but let's go ahead and make it funny. Give and, it a little levity. And the fact that it was in 1998 when there wasn't a lot of guts and gore going on, that was, a, I think it was a, a welcome back to, hey, Let's bring it back. A transition, Let's have some fun. transitioning into it. That being said, Ringu opened the floodgates for J horror and Asian horror and Tarantino's Asian Extreme and oh, all I these. I forgot about that. Yeah, and all these different things, and it definitely changed the face of horror in the '90s, all the way up into recently. Now we got Sudoku versus uh, the Ring versus the <laughs> Grudge. Basically, they're throwing out first pitches at baseball games, right? And it's all because of the Ring. So it definitely transitioned. So I'm really having a really difficult part because I, I, I. I 
I gotta say ring. Okay, no, that works. That works. For me, I, I'm gonna. I'm thinking twofold for this one. So for the transitional terror, ultimately, Bride of Chucky. What I think is kind of uh, what's forgotten about it is this is kind of America's introduction to Ronnie Yu. That's true. Who ultimately gave us Freddy versus Jason? And listen, I know. That film in and of itself is problematic. And you had to say that because you just looked, you saw my face. You're like, yeah, look, let me explain. Well, no, ultimately, it's you, that film, no matter what was made, someone was going to be upset. Disappointed you, were, yeah. you were never going to win with this film. Exactly. What we got, I think, is a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> and yeah. I think, and we have Ronnie Yu to thank for that. So that in and of itself is a transitional terror. Um, also, just kind of, he gave us a little bit of international flair. But as you also mentioned, Bride of Chucky also is a transition from Child's Play into Chucky front and center. Mm -hmm. And then they even kind of started like transitioning even more, quite literally, with Seed of Chucky. And he listened to the folks, realized they were maybe taking it too far, and then they transitioned even more into Curse and Cult. And because I think ultimately you get (coughs) a little bit more transition with, uh, with Ronnie Yu and Bride of Chucky, although I will say... You know, Ringu was the start of the J-Horror craze. But for me, I'm going to go with Bride of Chucky Mm -hmm. as the better transitional terror. Yeah. So as it is, oh my goodness, guys, we have a tie. Two votes for Bride of Chucky, two votes for Ringu. That means we are going to put it out to you guys out on the social media. So we'll put that out on uh, Nightmare Junkhead and on Facebook. Uh, Go, of course. Now, this is a month in advance, of course, from uh, from March Madness going on. So uh, when you're listening to this, it won't be out there. Right. <laughs> but the right film will go forward. Yes. Well, speaking of going forward, let's go forward to our next bracket. And man, as much as I love Scream, yeah. as much as Scream did for horror in the 90s, it also... It also did a lot of bad, too. Like, ex- for example, as much as Halloween did fantastic things for the slasher films, it also gave us a lot of dreck. And I'm not saying that Scream gave us some dreck, but when we're looking in the teen slashers in the 90s, it's not we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, but definitely these aren't the primest of cuts. Next top bracket topic here is the slashback. Uh-huh. And what we're looking for, what we tried to do is we tried to hack our way to the films that get, were probably the most truest to the slasher motif. As much as you could in the 90s. Indeed. And we ended up settling with, and I shouldn't say settle, because no, there was like no, some good these, stuff these, out there. These were, these were excellent rewatches, and these were worthy of being on the bracket. Don't get it twisted, guys. And ultimately what I love is we have two films that were, were one was already an established franchise, yeah. and one launched a franchise. Mm-hmm. We were talking about I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, <laughs> going up against Urban Legend. Yes. So which one shall we start with there, Genius? Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Is the main reason yeah. why I saw this particular the film in the theater? Too. Same exact same thing because I saw the first one in the theater and I was like, Jennifer Love Hewitt is pretty. So like, let's go see it again. I didn't care much for the first one because I've always had an issue with the fucking Gordon's Fisherman. The fucking Gordon Fisherman is the killer, and like every time he killed, I was like, just the Gordon's Fisherman, ding ding, you know. And like, even, I wanted a squeeze of lemon with every kill. Even in the theater, me and Dustin, every time he killed somebody, we turned to and go, ding ding, like that, <laughs> like quietly, so we didn't interrupt person. But at the same time, it was still like, ding ding, you know. It was, I, it, I, but Jennifer Love Hewitt is pretty. 
and think back in 98, as, as bad as I am as a 41-year-old, 20 years ago as a 21-year-old. Oh, no, it was creepy. It was... I went for the sole purpose of probably just staring creepily into her cleavage. God and, help me. And because, you know, in the preview, there was a scene where she's like, where are you at? And she's in the rain. And you're like, you know there's going to be a wet t-shirt shot. So let's fucking go see it. So And it was gratuitous without being gratuitous. Right. It without was, being and, over the top. As gratuitous as a fucking PG-13 movie can get. PG fucking 13! No, no, no. I still know it was actually R. Oh, was it? It was R, but it felt PG-13. It did feel PG-13. A lot of the horror... Horror was neutered, especially in the slasher uh, category. In the 90s, horror was neutered significantly. And it wasn't because of the MPAA, and it wasn't because of Tipper Gore. It was all because of, like... They were going for it, and this we'll get into it uh, a little bit into the round of the hateful eight. What I think was going on with the '90s, but yeah. I think they were doing us something a little bit different. Yeah, than we would with what we got in the '80s and the horror. But no, I agree, and this is actually technically so we, you know, what worked in the original. They just go ahead and try to make it work again in the sequel, and we get two of the returners coming back mm-hmm. with uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and Jennifer Love Hewitt. And then, of course, we have to put them on an island. We got to separate them. We we need another reason to exist. Right. And I don't know. Is I don't know if this is one of those films that needed a franchise. If they did, they should have done it with a different. And then I love Jennifer Love Hewitt, but if they wanted to keep that thing going on, having her the same final girl, all a scream, it just didn't work with this because in the first one, she pretend she thought she killed somebody. Mm-hmm. They got the whole urban legend thing with the guy mm-hmm. coming back and worked. And the second one. There's no stakes in the game. You know, yeah. she really didn't fuck over anybody. And when they did reveal of it, and even the cameos with Jared Padalecki, like, not being a really good actor, you know what I'm saying? You have all these hot teens, and they're really hamming it up and chewing the scenery, and I never cared much for Brandy. Really? Never. Really? I mean, like, I like her music and all, but, like, her acting, I never, it never, no, nah, I wasn't a big fan of Moesha. That's okay. It's that CW bias coming back. Or the guess, WB I bias, the I believe. WB bias. I don't know. It's just That's this, a, this one didn't work as well as the first one for me, dude. Okay, no, and I it's again it spawned another one after this, which is kind of I, incredible. I'll, I'll always know what you did last. And summer. there's only so much you can continue to do with that particular phrase. Yeah, have another it's, summer. Do something. I know what you did. Itself. I know what you. I know what you're gonna do at winter break, or like I know what you did at MTV Spring Break 1999. You know, like. I think a lot of people might have known when I did it MTV. Oh, Jesus Christ, I still <laughs> still thinking about that. But it's 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 problematic, but I don't know. So let's go over from something a little bit more problematic to what for me actually was kind of one of my favorite kind of surprises of this round, but Urban Legend a lot better than I remember. This is still not a great movie, but like you said, it's significantly better than what I remembered. I remember seeing it and be like, "Man, it's all right." But watching this with a little bit like older, fresher eyes, and the fact that like, "Oh, it's Alicia Witt," you know, it's like it's Daniel Harris. <laughs> you're like, "Oh, turn out," you know. So, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a way better surprise. This one felt a lot more horror. I mean, like way more horror, mm-hmm. like made for horror fans are like, mm, yeah, we know that we know that slashers aren't the best right now. So let's give you a little something that as much as we can do, you know, and I thought it was a really neat premise. Well, it's it, well, shit. Look back at the Ringu basically plays like a Japanese urban legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, same way that I, you know, I still know I what still you know did. what she did is in uh, Japanese. But they quite then they just took it as yeah. a literal translation. It's like what is all the good scary ones that we know about? You know that you hear about. Mm-hmm. Well, hell, look at um, 
body bags. Yeah. One of the segments in there is an urban legend. Like right, right. I thought this was a very unique, uh, something that needed to be done. You don't hear a lot of urban legend. You see a lot of urban legend movies, but not one that tackles like a bunch. And I like that. I like the and way you, they do it. With you them. also get Robert Englund yeah. out of makeup. Yeah. A, a, as the teacher. And I really didn't know who the killer was until the end. I mean, it really did like, I'm like, okay, who's doing the killing? You know? Fresh face, man. It always tells yeah. you. It always tells yeah. you. Yeah. I, I, I was a big fan. This was also, now I will say this. You talk about having problems with the Gordon's Fisherman, just the killer motif and mm-hmm. the aesthetic. And I still know what you did last summer. This one in Urban Legends is a little bit rough. Me because... too. The coat. Fucking coat. Like just the coat. Just like a that park. The just park really doom, not you know? trying no, to establish no. an icon. At least put a goddamn mask on or something. If you're just going to wear a fucking one of those winter puffy winter coats that they're like All I'm North thinking End. It looks like George Costanza is yes, stalking you. Yes. With his, and he just throws this big ass wallet at you. Boom. Knocks you out. You know. Uh, Taunts I d- you with his ATM code before he kills you. And I didn't appreciate. I did, but I didn't appreciate the dog in the microwave. Oh, that's. Oh. I didn't. I I liked the gore, but I didn't appreciate the message. You know what I'm saying? It's like I don't like Joshua Jackson more than anyone else, but that was tough to watch. Yeah. Well, Pacey didn't deserve that. that the, was... the hanging when he was hung mm-hmm. by the car. Oh no, no, was... it was Michael Rosenbaum. It was Michael that got Rosenbaum the dog. who that's got right. the dog thrown yeah. in the microwave. Pacey was the one who got hung. That's right. Which was dope. Yeah. That was super. That was a dope kill. I was like, holy shit, that. And then to get eviscerated as that, as she's driving away, just the guts hanging out. And the fact that, like, he right before he turned it on, I don't want to wait for it. He goes, turn it nah. up. I can't stand that shit. I was like, ha, ha. That's hilarious. Well, it wouldn't be a 90s horror film without a little bit of meta work in there, a little bit of winking at the, no- but the it audience. But because it made fun of themselves. Like, they're talking to Rebecca Gayhart. Like, I heard the Noxima girl was the killer. You know, spoilers. But, like, right. <laughs> but, like, the, the fact that they called her the Noxima girl, the fact that Pacey was like, I can't stand this fucking song. The meta that they did was funny meta. It was, it was, it worked well for their characters. And it, it wasn't like, too meta if you didn't know right it would just it be still like, doesn't take away from it right 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 that's that's where meta, that's when meta works and as someone that was a pimply faced teenager that utilized noxima like you wouldn't believe i can truly appreciate when rebecca gerhardt showing and tara reed out of tara nowhere reed, yeah it's, and just like all these like like oh shit i didn't know they were in this movie i'm like holy shit it's a 90s cavalcade and i've always liked alicia witt always liked alicia witt so she showed up in the, I think it was the, oh my goodness, uh, what was that anthology film that Tarantino and Rodriguez did? Oh, Grindhouse. No, 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 no. It was the one with, um, oh my God, Four, four Stories, Four Rooms. There yeah. we go. Oh, Thank no, no, you. she was in there with the, with the, with the Covens. Yeah. Yes. She was in um, the episode, last season's Walking Dead. Oh, nice. She was like a three little character arc. Yeah. She's also was on the last season of The Exorcist as well. Really? So she's still working in genre films. I like Alicia Witt. Well, speaking of working, let's go ahead and show some of our work here. We've got two slasher films that only one can go forward. Mm -hmm. So who's going to survive? I still know what you did last summer or Urban Legends. Genius, which of these two films are closer to your heart? I saw both these movies in the theater. Um, I didn't care too much for both of these movies. Uh, Upon rewatch, uh, I enjoyed Urban Legend more. So for closer to the heart, because neither of them had big stakes in the game, then I'm going to go with Urban Legend. <laughs> That's And having seen both of them as well, the only reason I'm going to go against Urban Legend and say I still know what you did last summer is my appreciation, my affection, just my overall devotion to Jennifer Love's cleavage in those films. And I know it's horrible to say, but I have to think of nostalgia purposes. I boob what you tit last hooter. <laughs> 
That's what it truly was if you boil <laughs> yeah, it down it was, to its essence. Yeah, it was, that's the only reason why we went to go see it the first. I mean, yes, it's horror, but it's Jennifer Love Hewitt. I mean, ugh. and I know it's horrible to say, but I'm but, being honest. Hey, you know, because at the 98, I, I was what, 19? You're probably about 20, 21. It, it makes sense. We didn't have the internet. No, it makes sense. I mean, we're probably like half the women listeners right now are going, yeah, you're, but I'm, we're not like that now. Well, we kind of are. I am at least, but we're not, <laughs> but we're not like like <laughs> we can not least, lecherous, right? It's... We can at least look at the movies for their merits as films. <laughs> well, speaking of merit, both of these are definitely callback to the slashers of the eighties. Mm-hmm. So, with our bracket bracket topic being a slashback, which of these two films do you think is more of a throwback to the slasher? I would always, I'm always going to go for something new as opposed to a tired remake or a subpar remake mm-hmm. uh, or a subpar sequel. So I'm going to go with Urban Legends because not only was the kills more inventive, like a good yep. 80s horror movie, yep. they're a lot more gorier, like a good throwback 80s horror movie, and it was uh, winkingly meta. It knew what it was doing, and I liked that. So Urban Legend is a better slasher, in my opinion. You nailed the exact same reason why it's, it's getting my vote as well, is the kills are creative. If you look at the two films, yeah. you have more fun with the kills in Urban Legend. Right, because you got a guy with a hook in the, and just, just hooking up people. Hooking up. Hooking people up. You know what I mean. And like the other one, you got hangings and you got rebecca gayhart going ape shit and you got like all oh, sorts of like you get freaking pop rocks thrown in to play uh, right <laughs> so it really gives you that little bit of creativity the diversity that i think you need and for f- a true slasher and you can't and, and freddie yeah robert england you can't get more throwback slasher than than good old freddie krueger himself i agree so with a count of three votes to one uh look in the back seat gain because uh, urban legend is indeed going into the round of the scream 16 so mm-hmm. nice work there and that leads us to our last bracket and our last pairing of films and we talked about how we've got halloween uh-huh. showing up for the third time in our brackets well damn sure enough we've got another person tied to halloween showing yep. up John Carpenter himself with our past the sunscreen brackets. Everybody, everybody got that SPF 400. <laughs> Break out your Santiago because we've got vampires going up against Blade. Yes. And honestly, for me, this is the bracket where I've got two films that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I'm anxious to see your thoughts on them. So, Genius, what do we start with? Let's start with Vampires. So, ultimately, this is what I think that's interesting in 1998. And again, I'm glad we've got representation of Carpenter from mm-hmm. the 70s, 80s, and now in the 90s. Yeah. Because I ultimately think in the 90s is when a lot of people with Carpenter kind of went, well, this is kind of when he started ne- not necessarily putting out subpar work, but mm-hmm. he had kind of peaked earlier. Yeah. And what I like about vampires... Ghost of Mars is still great, though. We'll cha- I will challenge you on that <laughs> one there. But what I like about this one is I think vampires can work with a lot of people say it's like his last great film. I think Vampires works with a lot of people because they can say it's his last good film. Mm-hmm. And I think Vampires works because a lot of people can say it's just not a great film. So mm-hmm. where do you land in the Vampires camp? I like it. I like this movie. I'm not going to say it's his last good film because I like Ghost of Mars. Just saying. there's. I know there's a growing <laughs> contingent of people out there that like Ghost of Mars. I'm just still not on that bandwagon. I fucking love Ghost of Mars. It's so much fun. And it's just got Jason Statham. And then this is like, it's great. So I don't think it's his last good work i definitely think it's 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 not his 
strongest. I think his strongest, he peaked in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think definitely this is not uh, the ward. You know what I'm saying? This is not like... Well, maybe we do need to wait a little while on the ward because, you know, a lot of his films... You gotta wait at least five, ten years for like, oh, now I got it! Just because he's always working ahead of his time. Right. Which, honestly, I don't think really with the ward. I don't know if that one's going to actually hold up as well yeah. as it is we are now with this particular one. But honestly, this is really the first chance that Carpenter got to go into like the whole vampire mythos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's, he's tackled all sorts of other ghosts and and shapes and And of course he adds a western tone to it because it's john carpenter that's what he's wanted to do from day one is to make westerns and it was a great it's a great little western like a just if you look at it as a western it's fucking fantastic well and also what i love about this particular film is it's it is mean yeah both of these films are very mean mark boone jr gets it rough he gets it rough in this one. Thank you, K and B. K and B was flexing their muscles on this one. God I damn. never knew I needed to see Mark Boone Jr. cut in half in my life, but damn, mm-hmm. if that is not just brutal and gnarly and nasty, mm-hmm. only the best way that you could. And this is one of those films that really lays on the practical effects. If you're going to dispatch Mark Boone Jr., dispatch him well. You know what I'm saying? He's Mark Boone Jr. He deserves nothing but the best. Well, I got to ask now, just can you separate art from the artists? Of course. Their personal life because I love Apocalypto. I wouldn't trust Mel Gibson in a locked room, but I'll watch Lethal Weapon all day long. Because given kind of the the current state of James Woods, uh-huh, just being creepy, this yeah. guy. He's always been creepy. He's always been lecherous. He's always been like that. I mean, he's always been uh, long live the new flesh. Right. What, always... what are your thoughts on Jack Crow? <laughs> I like him. I th- I would like to see more adventures of Jack Crow killing vampires, like even a prequel. Like his first like sp- going out. He you know? ratchets the insane. I mean, he is just chewing yeah. through scenery in this film. And being the mean to Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> he kicks the shit out of Stephen Baldwin, and that's his boy, too. And I'm like, God damn, you're mean as shit. There's some rough camaraderie in that crew. Uh, I bust your balls sometimes, but I'm never going to, like, fucking punch you and leave you out in the middle of the desert to fend for yourself you better fucking get on and like god damn well to me this is one of his last good films i think his last really great film is the ghost whole, of mars I, <laughs> <laughs> memoirs of an invisible man for the win no i actually i would say the very film that inspired this tournament is uh, into the mouth of madness mm-hmm. i really think in the 90s yeah. that was 92 no, i will so i will agree still good carpenter That's in the 90s a fucking masterpiece madness mouth of madness but this one is still fun yes and yes, I can have fun with this movie for as dark and for as heavy and for as violent as this is, because there's no real levity except no. when James Woods goes insane and beats up a priest. There's no real levity. I mean, it's all just fantastic, beautiful shots. Yeah. Um, super sexy female vampires getting bitten in terrible places. Um, and I will say even the cinematography, that lovely shot of Valak up in, up the-, in the thing is terrifying. I loved that shot. That's what vampires Mm-hmm. should do mm-hmm. not sparkle or anything like that they should creep in the corners and jump down and like bite you in your nethers so like <laughs> i agree it was nice to see jc tackle the vampire genre and do um, it well too i mean the whole and, but and it's truly a carpenter flick yes at, oh with the sweeping shots and this it's not a slow burn but there's a slowness in the mm-hmm. middle that builds up to such great show centerpieces and i really love the creative approach they took with vampire hunting yeah staking them and dragging them into the sun Mm -hmm. eliminating as much dirty work as you can sponsored by the church yes god bless you all for that Mm -hmm. well 
I saw it in the theater, had a good time, but a truly, totally transcendent experience happened when I saw our next film yes. in the theater. And it's one of those that I still share. I mean, I literally cherish my experience with it. But Genius, what was your experience with Blade? I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I knew of the character. I wasn't like the biggest Blade fan, but I did like Wesley Snipes and vampires mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So I'm like, I'm going to go see it. And when they went to the club, that opening rave scene, and then the, the blood just shot out, I was like, oh, wow, I want to go to that party. I was so hyped. I never heard that music, that song before. And I, I, I rue the day that I did. But, I mean, at the time, it was really fucking dope. And then just for Blade to come in and dispatch everybody and knowing that it's fucking Tracy Lords that he's killing, I was just, holy shit, this is fantastic. This is I want to party with Tracy Lords in an underground bloodbath fucking butcher shop when Wesley and then Wesley Snipes comes in and like, always bet on black except with taxes and just like fucking people up. That, it was great. It was it, so much fun when I saw that first time. It blew my mind, yes. that intro, because it, number one, it was super violent. Yes. I was not prepared for the level of violence that we got in Blade. Out of a Marvel movie. I was prepared for that in Vampires with John Carpenter. Right. But like you said, this was one of those first, not the first official R-rated Marvel movie, but the one, the truly one that hit big yes i remember i saw this in the oak park mall on not in the mall but on the uh the outside outside the plaza Uh yes what like you said i went in there practically not knowing anything i'd read tombs of dracula before so i was familiar with the character but i mean i wasn't intimately not didn't have like x-men knowledge of it right right right. and like you said i came out of that film and i don't know what it is with vampires but i recommend checking out our, our nerds of nostalgia episode we did for um from dusk till dawn, uh-huh. but there's some combination about killing vampires, and in my early being in my early twenties, I stepped out of Blade as well, wanting to just kill vampires. There's something about killing vampires, potentially in Russia in the falling snow with that beautiful final shot. Bah, you know what is it about killing vampires that makes you just want to go out and fucking kill vampires? You know it's dangerous. You know you're gonna get bit at some point in time, or something terrible is gonna happen. But at the same time, you're over there fighting the undead. It's magical. I had probably one of my all-time great dreams where in my dream, I was an elemental, so I could control the weather. Uh But not only was I an elemental, but I was also a vampire hunter. Uh And my gimmick was I would take a wooden stake, throw it up in the air, and then with my wind power, I would send it out at vampires. Really? It was actually a pretty rad little dream. You could always, like... Make it rain holy water. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, that's good. Get a, a, a little partner with a priest. Uh, like a typhoon holy water? Yeah. Well, you, you need mentioned... an old priest and a young priest. <laughs> well, you mentioned the 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 hero of the piece is only as good as a villain. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of this is and let's Wesley Snipes owns Blade. He is film. Blade. He is Blade. There's nobody else. Even when they redid it, they redid it then in, in, in a TV the series. Sticky fingers. And it, yeah, sticky fingers. And um and they made it a cartoon, it still wasn't the same. It, Fucking even in the even in the sixties when they were drawing, it was fucking Wesley Snipes. It's like it's like they knew like, you know, I think Wesley Snipes is gonna play this character. Let's who's make this, him look like who's this. Who's this Wesley Snipes character? I don't, I don't know, know, but you know, send about three seashells. So, you know. 
<laughs> it, it's pretty incredible what he does with yeah. it. Um, just the his, I think also just the level of fighting he brings to the to the role because he's a master black belt. He's a badass. Yeah, in this he film. is. Uh, pr- good practical effects when they call into it. Bad uh, CGI effects though. at the very end. Uh-huh. Well, let's talk a little bit about the villains and what goes on there. One of the reasons I like this film, Udo Kier. Udo Kier. Always love Udo Kier. When he shows up, <laughs> he classes the joint up, regardless of what capacity. But no, ultimately, uh, Stephen Dorff, uh-huh. Donald Logue. Love Donald Logue. Before I knew it was Donald Logue, I was like, I like that guy. You know what actually really threw me off on the film is when his character is introduced. Do you remember what's he's going- getting a blowjob in the vampire thing while he's sucking on another cha- on another woman's like arm? <laughs> I was just like, I'm I'm waiting for Stan Lee to show up in Excelsior. Or that I'm like, oh my god, I am truly watching something completely different. Right. But the joy and relish that he brings with his role, I love that character. Mm-hmm. As obnoxious as he is, as fucked up as he gets, because he gets. Fuck. The, the basically the reoccurring gag is Blade just keeps like maiming him, disfiguring but when, him. But when he jumps out, I mean, and when he when there's scares, they're good scares. Oh, the horror in this movie hits yeah, hard. When he jumps out of the um out of the autopsy room and, and he's all burnt like, and attacks out of nowhere, like Bruh! and like whoa, that made that was like holy shit. It was a great jump scare, and that's what you need for a good action horror. Is you need to have that horror hit hard, and when it did in Blade. It hit hard. When Frost kills his underling at that little apartment they had, yeah. and he digs into I mean, that's genuinely scary. Steven Dorff powered the hairy chested. He's our people. When he kills Udo Kier mm-hmm. on the beach, I was like, you are a cold-blooded asshole, dude. I love it. And he throws that little girl through a bus. He throws that little girl through a bus. I was like, God damn, Blade. <laughs> These villains do not mess around in this particular film. No, this is it was so much fun. The weapons worked. Yeah. Chris Christopherson showing up. As Whistler. Yeah. <laughs> it hits all these wonderful boxes. It, it got did... weird when they got all Oedipal. Oh yeah. Well of course. Of it got course. really weird when it got Oedipal. But like well, it just shows you what a bastard Frost is. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, if he's not your ultimate nemesis, he's all but also been having sex with your mother. Yeah, and turn you into a vampire. Ah, That's... he deserves his, yeah, his demise does. there. Yeah. No, I had a... Pearl. Pearl was a wonderful use of practical effects. Yeah. Oh, so good, so good. So we've got two great vampire films. Only one can move into the round of the Scream 16. So... Genius McGee, mm-hmm. I ask of you, which one of these are closer to your heart, Vampires or Blade? Blade, because it's fucking Blade. Um, <laughs> I, I, I Don't get me wrong, I really enjoy Vampires. I really love JC, but Blade was something magical. Blade, seeing in the movie theaters, that first opening <sighs> shot, the fact that I remembered it vividly, the fact that like even when I saw Gil- Del Toro's significantly better love the sequel right and i was like it's still missing that one rape scene you know and the fact that like it brought techno at the time it was techno to more like mass mm-hmm. appeal because you'd have stuff like go and you'd have stuff like that that was kind of like niche but this was a big budget thing to and open up with Darude's sandstorm which itself became enormously huge and a meme in itself i gotta go blade with closer to the heart I can't disagree with you on this one. In fact, when I was watching everything again, that intro scene still hypes me up to this day. Yes, yes. Which takes me back to that first time seeing it in the theater. <coughs> and here, 20 years later, it still has that effect on me. Mm-hmm. I still want to kick a lot of vampire butt after seeing it. So for me, I, again, I love JC. I love vampires, but it has no... Right, it's it's got no fangs. No, it doesn't. It's too, truly neutered. Uh, so going to the bracket topic, passing the sunscreen, 
ultimately, which of these two films fits a vampire mythos a little bit better for you there, genius? Blade. Okay. Because while while the vampires and JCs are more classical vampires or the more classical vampire shit, if you put a room with 100 vampires and you put Blade and you put Jack Crow, Blade's going to kick the shit out of Jack Crow. Yeah, he is. Blade's just going to kick the shit out of Jack Walker. That intro scene when you hear them whispering about because of the Daywalker. He the has Daywalker. a reputation. Yeah, already just coming in, just rah, just ready to just fuck shit up. So for a better vampire mythos, because it went with the whole, mm. I mean, the, the, the houses of the vampires. The, there's a hierarchy. The, right. The whole, the, there's familiars. There's all these different things, which a lot of vampires forget the familiars. Mm-hmm. They forget the lackeys. They forget the human underlings. People that have to go out in the daylight. The Renfields. You know, they forget. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that is a better representation of mo- modern and old school vampires. I agree. I agree. And I'm looking at literally passing the sunscreen and vampires what i like is you see that they can actually subsist in the dirt they can actually bury themselves in the ground Mm -hmm. to get through but what i love ultimately in blade is they literally are throwing on sunscreen Sunscreen. just like stop like just like it's like i'm not pale enough i want to put on something that's going to make me a little bit more pastier right and they just slather that shit on man looks like (laughs) Anything to walk out in the sun, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. I I appreciate that. And also a little shout out to the fact that when they're in the process of becoming vampire gods, uh, he's all like, we're going to be, I'm going to be a naughty vampire god. I'm going to be naughty, a naughty vampire god. Uh, That's a great line. I've got to go with Blade as the one that passes the sunscreen. So holy smokes, by a count of four votes to zero. You know why? Because it's fucking Blade. That's why. Blade is leaving vampires in its dust as it goes to the round of the Scream 16, which means we are going to then, we've got, I can't believe we're already at this point now. Mm -hmm. In 1998, we're saying goodbye to Halloween H2O. Bye. Ringu. Uh, (laughs) I still know what you did last summer. Later, Jennifer. And vampires. Which means in the round of the Scream 16, we're going to have the winner of Bride of Chucky and Ringu going up against the faculty. Mm-hmm. We're going to have Urban Legend going up against Blade. Mm-hmm. And as we go into the round of the Scream 16, we do bring another podcast. Um, who then moves forward into the round of the Frightful Four? Hmm. You're going to have to tune in to find out. So until that time, uh, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. I'm going to go be a naughty vampire god. Oh.